Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. You must listen to the open loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open loops. Today on Open Loops, we have someone I'm very excited about, a uh, very humble person, calls himself a lifelong student and practitioner of the Western esoteric tradition, though I would say, I mean, he's an author, he's a teacher, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's out there in the field, I would say, I would even say uh, my guest is a... Uh, a, a spokesperson and a, and a highly qualified spokesperson for Thelemic Magic and All Things Occult. Uh, he's the author of the Aleister Crowley Manual, Thelemic Magic for Modern Times. Teaches, of course, Magic Without Tears and, and teaches about the tarot. And, and, and you have all sorts of, I mean, he's, he's on live streams, he does podcasts, he does live events, um, goes to conferences. I mean, it's such an interesting field that I'm excited to learn more about. Marco Visconti is here. Marco, thanks so much for coming on the show. Greg, thank you so much for the uh, glowing introduction. <laughs> uh, well, I hope I, you know, I, I live, I live up to the to the hype. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, look, I mean, I, uh, I, I definitely think. Well, you know what I find very interesting about you is that not only are you just a a advocate of these things, but um, you you've also had a, a very in some ways, I mean, you can read about it on on online. You've had a dramatic journey within oh, yes. uh, this esoteric field. I mean, you've you you you've even, in a way, one might say, you've pushed back against some of the traditional practices that may, many people hold as mainstream, and and the and the group think that's involved in it, and even the kind of indoctrination that happens when people form small groups and hold ideologies. I mean, I, I love that you you come from a, a complex background and relationship with the occult and magic. And um, I, I, I'm curious, I mean, do you think that, hmm, well, were you were you about to say something about that before I get into it? I'm curious. What were your initial thoughts? No, on well, no. I mean, um, you know, that's an understatement in the sense that, you know, to be fair, I started this pra this path uh, when I was very young. Um, 
mean, I, I must have been like in my early teens when I first discovered the path of magic and I was very fascinated by it and I went into it. And uh, when I turned 18, I received my first initiation and it was in, in, in a traditional magical group, right? Because, you know, it's the late 90s and I live in Rome. I know very little about this word. And in, at, I say that I live in Rome, Italy, because there's very little available in Italian, right? At the time, I could read English at the time already, but not much was available to me. It was the years before Amazon, right? I was, yes. I was on the internet. I was on, you know, on BBSs because I was very uh, precocious, uh, you know, to an early adopter, right? And, uh, but still, it was hard. Anything was very difficult to find, but still I went for the more traditional path, which is, you know, you, you see eventually you find a door to knock and maybe that door will be open unto you as it said it is said in the in the books and you know you find people um hopefully you get along with them and it's not always a given um and then maybe you do find your your match so somebody that can teach you and you go from there and that was my um modus operandi my the, the way i've done this you know in the late 90s up until was like 2017 uh and just to name some names like the first order that i joined i was always interested in telema i was always interested in what's called ceremonial magic um and the western esoteric tradition so alchemy freemasonry rosicrucianism but i really my my focus was really telema and telema is you can call it a, a magical philosophy you can call it a magical religion uh, that was founded by, uh, by Aleister Crowley starting from uh, 1904. So I'm, we're coming to 120 years now. Yeah. Uh, very, 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 very young, you know, magical philosophy, very young magical religion, uh, especially because it, Dilemma positions itself to be a new way of doing things, um, a new, a new eon, as it's written in uh, in its central text, which is called Liber Alba Legis or the Book of the Law. This idea that you know our our human experience um, goes from from age to age, and each age has um, a fundamental law on how to interface with with uh, spiritual evolution, and. Uh, you know, there's many ages. I'm not gonna, gonna go too much into that. Uh, but the idea is that in 1904, with the reception of the Book of the Law by Lester Crowley, a new age was inaugurated. And with this new age, uh, set, a new set of rules came along, a new set of way of doing things magically. You can, you can, if you and your, and your audience want to wrap your minds around this, think about it as the fact that each of these ages can be seen as an operating system. And each of these magical laws or magical practices can be seen as apps. You know, from time to time, you have to update everything because maybe yes. they are too old for, to function. You just to, you just to keep going, right? Um, of course, this is, this is an idea that's not, uh, um, held, held by, and all the practitioners are there, but it's, it's an idea that's been enduring, right? It's also because possibly we just see it, we just see evidence of it, you know, how, uh, the, how the way to the numinous change and improves with time and with human evolution, physical, uh, spiritual evolution and technological evolution as well, like, like evolution in its widest sense. So Telema was my main interest because it's a very, uh, iconoclastic approach to it. Again, I was born in Rome. I've, I had a very 
uh, I never loved Christianity. Uh, right. Not so, I mean, at first, you know, at first because I didn't understand why. Then I came to understand that it's, my problem with Christianity was with the Roman Catholic Church. And so I wanted something different. I wanted something else. And um, it's interesting because in time I, I, I came to reconcile my, 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 my original distaste for Christianity to the point that now I see it as part of spiritual evolution, right? I still don't like the, the Roman Catholic Church, though. It's not, we're not friends. Uh, so I could find what I was looking into, into Telema. And like I said, as I started you know, explaining my, my story, I went to the traditional path, which is like finding an order, joining an order. Late 90s, I joined what is called the AA, uh, which stands for Argentum Astrum or Silver Star, or at least this is the name that this order is known amongst the profane. It might or might not have a secret name behind that. Just okay, like okay. A little bit of, uh, there. Uh, and then many years later, uh, in early 2010s, uh, I joined the Thelemic Order that I think most people will know or have or at least have heard about if they're interested in these topics, and that it is the OTO or Ordo Templi Orientis. Again, it's Latin for Order of the Temple of the East. Um, and this is, you know, this is an order that a lot of people that are interested in these subjects, you know, hear about, think they know about. And the real, and I'm saying this because they think of the OTO as a magical order, right? Where you go and you learn magic. Uh, we should also maybe have a discussion about what magic is, but we maybe will get there, there later. Yes, yes. The reality is that you know the OTO really is uh, um, a fraternity. It is a, a social group. It is you can think of it as a telemic take on the idea of Freemasonry. And this is also true. I mean, this is, these are not only like the OTOs um, or origins in Freemasonry, but also the way the OTO teaches things. And I, uh, I'm saying this because the, the way Freemasonry and the OTO teaches things is a very passive way. Like you are given a set of images uh, to meditate upon through the course of the rituals you undertake. But there's very little direct teaching right that's very like you know in the OTO was very rare if that somebody would come to you and say here here how's to use magic to I don't know to to attract fortune or prosperity or to conjure spirits right it was more about a set of pretty deep in fact uh moral and ethical lesson but telemic moral and ethical lesson which are very at odd very uh iconoclastic compared to the the more traditional Christian ones Anyway, my my journey was fine up until something happened in the summer of 2017. At that point, I've been living in London. Um, I've been living in London here for 10 years, but at that point was my, my fifth year in London. And um, what happened there is that I was already, um, I had, I did a little bit of career in the OTO. I wasn't by any stretch of imagination like one of the leaders, like I've seen somebody write online, absolutely not. There's a reason was maybe why, because the, the OTO turned out to be a very nepotistic and, um, uh, you know, very layered kind of organization. But I was, you know, the treasurer of the Amethologia in London. I was one of the 
the, the three people that were running that lodge, right? Like we were, I was the one in charge of, you know, taking money from people, uh, which is always like the, the worst job you can have in any organization, as you can imagine. Right. And I was, very, you know, I was very, very involved with running the lodge, with making sure I was there pretty much every weekend of my life for, for all those years. Uh, that was my, my weekends, my, I, I didn't go to, to holiday. Um, I'll tell you very honestly, right? Uh, as as the listener might have guessed, this story doesn't have a happy ending, and I'm very, I'm regretting that I didn't go on those holidays. Maybe I should have done something better with my thirties instead of spending time in the OTO. But again, <laughs> what happened there is that in this, in, the, in the summer of 2017, um, you might remember the uh, Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, mm-hmm. uh, one of the first moments where uh, the the world became aware of possibly, um, you know, um, a rising issue with the far right. The the Proud Boys were became known to the world at that time. Long story short, uh, several OTO members turned out to be part of the Proud Boys. And this is, of course, again, this is like three full years before the, the capital insurrection and everything that 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 evolved from there. And uh, I was one of the first that had uh, the guts to say online, "Well, this is no, this is not right. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not okay with that. I don't want, I don't want, you know, any, I don't want to be associated with these people. Uh, politics or not, I, I don't want to debate that. But I don't want to be associated with this kind of politics. Turns out that a lot of the actual leaders of the OTO didn't have any problem with that. Um, turns out that a very prominent figure in the OTO, somebody called James Wasserman, who, who passed in 2020, uh, was actually behind all of this, was enabling all these people. Those were exactly his politics. And, uh, and so that's where I realized that this fraternity that was supposed to be above politics and supposed to actually um, portray the values of Telema, which are inclusive, which are... Um, very, you know, very um, against, you know, all this, the sort of obscurantism of Christianity or the Roman Catholic uh, version of Christianity. Well, it turns out that uh, people at the top were trying to just recreate the Vatican, but with, with, with a bit of Crowley on top, right? Um, yeah. I wasn't okay with that. Yeah, I wasn't okay with that at all. I left, uh, I resigned on, um, you know, I, for, for the first nine months, I tried to fight it from the inside. At the same time, I also figured out, found out that there was a series of people sexually abusing uh, women inside the order here in the UK. And so I was kind of fighting on two fronts there. Um, And I got very, yeah, yeah, it's not good. (laughs) Uh, If anybody is curious about this, I go in in all the details needed on my website. Well, you go to my website, which is marcovisconti.org. You find everything I do there, including a link to my Medium page, where there are there are several articles now, but especially two that really detail everything that happened, including the harassment and the death threats that I received from my ex-brethren when I start speaking out. And by that, I don't mean all of them, uh, but I mean those who were connected to the far right uh, vocal minority, definitely a minority, but very vocal and very nasty uh, side of OTO. And so, I, you know, in nine months, I tried to fight from the inside. I realized that I, nothing was going to happen because the people at the top are either okay with this or they are just completely um, passive about it. 
we're talking about uh, men and few women, mostly men, in the late 60s, early 70s, um, which is such a ridiculous thing because the, you know, the OTO promises you that you won't have a situation of nepotism. Literally in one of its books, uh, its foundational documents called Liber 194, it kind of tells you, right, you have to put up with, you know, being in a hierarchy, but don't worry, this is a new way of hierarchy. This is a, a new way of thinking hierarchy. Your, 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 um, your time at the top will arrive because this is how we do things. It is not, <laughs> um, you know, the way, <laughs> right. You know, the, the way the way audio has been has been reorganized since the the 80s onwards it's it's in, it's in the ma in the hand of a few few men it's incredibly nepotistic it's incredibly sectarian it's incredibly you know either you, you if you if you're there with the leader you're okay if you're against the leader you're a paria and you and basically that's it right it, like like pretty much every other organization out there i suppose so you know uh comes june uh 20 18 for uh, on the day of my 40th birthday i just decided to give myself a little gift and i send a resignation letter and i'm out and then i start speaking about my experience but at the same time i also realized that i do I, you know i do have some sort of i mean at least i feel that i had at the time and i still feel that i have um a sort of duty in the sense that i did dedicate my entire life to these ideas I, I believe the ideas are valid. I believe the technique, which is called magic, magic with the K, which is a specific term that implies a union of practices from the East and the West, right? It's something that brings together yoga, tantra, um, energy work, similar to what you will find in a lot of martial arts and what most people would recognize more as ceremonial magic, which is, you know, having a sword and a, and a wand and a cup and, and, a, and a circle on the ground and a, and a triangle where you conjure spirits in, right? The, the bridging of these two approaches, one very energetic and one very ritualistic is magic as cruelly intended. The, the the term today it's meant you find everybody online speaking about magic with the k and they just mean anything really yes. from witch witchcraft to to cont you know c c5 stephen greer level of you know conta t um, spirituality everything is magic with the k but you know from a thelemite's perspective magic with the k is something very very specific uh, it's a set of practices that really really bridge the east and the west together right or at least you know that's the that's the inspiration and since i at, you know at the point you know 2018 i'm 40 i've been doing this for 20 years at, at the time 25 now maybe even a bit more if we count our earlier my early years uh, as a teen uh, i was like you know what I, i'm gonna give up um teaching about what i can outside the bounds of any oath of any secret of any any hierarchical organization because i don't think we need them anymore right um, the point of hierarchical organization where you know crowley really thought that he could present the blueprint for an alternative society i think yeah. we are hundreds hundreds of years away from that right I, I don't even know i don't know if that's even possible maybe it's just a utopia but the other point of, of Iraqi organization is to give people structure and to give people also, 
you know, little carrots to dangle in front of them in terms of the next grade or the next degree or the secrets that you will um, finally unlock the moment you get to that degree or grade. Well, guess what? Uh, thanks to Google, you can find everything online. Yes. It's very easy. <laughs> like, I think that, you know, if you Google right now, I don't know, the secrets of OTO or the secrets of DAA, you will, you will certainly find uh, the documents. Maybe you need, you need to, to look a little bit deeper, but you'll find them. Maybe it's only like an hour tops. I don't think you'll understand anything about that because m pretty much all of this is written in lingo, is written in coded, coded, uh, codified. I mean, not in the sense that there's a code you have to crack, but it speaks, or maybe, maybe yes, because, you know, you, if, for instance, like the sex uh, magic, uh, formula of uh, rejuvenation, right? It, it speaks of the union of, um, the white lion and the red eagle and well you know if you don't know what those what that means uh you are okay i'm reading gibberish but in fact you know there is something that can be i mean there is there is a there's a logic behind those symbols and so it was like well i I'm, I'm gonna teach that right i'm going to i'm gonna see if there's interest and i'm going to just tell people that you can do telema possibly the way the book of the law the, the voices behind the book of the law which we can call them gods, or we can call them just, you know, forces, and that's fine. Um, they wanted humanity to to access, you know, without all the Byzantine and maybe, you know, Victorian or Neo-Victorian approach to orders and, and structures and hierarchy and all of that. And then that's guess interesting. what? interesting. I never the knew. Pandemic. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I mean, just, I was just like, you know, wrapping it up saying that, you know, the next thing that happened is the pandemic. So everybody is locked down oh, yeah. for years. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, I used that time to set up, a, you know, a Patreon and it, it became very successful. You know, at the height of the lockdowns, I had 200 and something, uh, concurrent patrons, but over the, over the, over the three years that I ran that Patreon, I had almost 400 people coming in and out, which if you think about the, the average lodge of the OTO is 10 people. And you think that the biggest lodge of the OTO, which was Ameth Lodge, at least when I was a member of, we had just, just shy of 100 members, but you would get 20 people at any meeting at any given time. So, you know, I had, I had moments during the pandemic where I was on zoom in front of 150 people. Yeah. I don't think many other telemites done that to be fair. Maybe Lon Duquette in his, um, in his, uh, live streams on Facebook, because of course Lon, Lon is a great guy and he, he definitely has, as as that kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, audience, but the point is, you know, I, it, that kind of proved to me, you, you don't need a hierarchy. So I, I'm going to stop now because if not, I can go on, I can go on forever. No, so. no, I mean, Hey, this is, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I think it raises some philosophical questions here about magic and the occult in general. Um, tell me this. I mean, my, my immediate gut reaction is okay. So you can popularize this, um, and, mm -hmm. and people can start doing magic, but was this ever supposed to I guess my my the common perception of society is well you're not supposed to do that <laughs> like what you're doing having a you know I mean you could you could have a Udemy course on magic or or uh, teach it at college campuses um, and or YouTube and I and it kind of goes against what I perceive which is 
wait a minute, isn't this like occult means the hidden? This was supposed to be a hidden order. <laughs> these aren't these aren't the common things. I mean, was that are you implying potentially that these hierarchies go along with that and were imposed on magic or yeah, yeah, was, yeah that's exactly okay. that's exactly no, no, that's exactly what I'm implying. Um is there a basis for that beyond that, your experience? Like, is it in the text that it impl- that it says, "Hey, by the way, you don't need to do this in this hidden way. Like, this is for everybody." There is something uh, that in Magic Without Tears, sorry, Magic Interior Practice, which is Crowley's magnum opus, uh, he literally says in the introduction that he is going to use the term magic to to uh, you know, refer to this blend of practices that I mentioned, but also because it's a, it's a term that has been you know, reviled and uh, everybody loves it. But also say that magic is for everyone. And he goes to say, right, I don't have the book in front of me, I never remember the quote verbatim, but you know, more or less it says, magic is for everybody. It's for the pugilist, it's for the banker, it's for the housewife, it's for the baker. Everybody can do magic, everybody should do magic. Okay, that's and that is this is this is something that's heavily echoed also in Liber Alba Legis, the Book of the Law, that if you as a Telemite accept it, that is you you agree that it's some some sort of uh, revealed uh, gnosis, the, it says in the Book of the Law, the law, that is the Book of the Law, but also the tool of the law, which is magic, is for all. Now, there's another thing to say. What is hidden, what remains hidden, are what I said before, called before, the secrets. For the, re- for the reason I mentioned before, in one of the rituals of the Odeo, there's a beautiful phrase that says, the true secrets are incommunicable. We can only give you the, um, you know, the soil, the water, and the light for these seeds to sprout. But you are the one who have to tend to the seeds by using these tools we're giving you. And if you do that, the seeds, the seeds will sprout and you will, you know, you will access the secrets of spiritual evolution. Okay. Think about it in another term. Think of the term secret itself. Secret can be seen also as secretion, right? Something that's secreted from you, something that comes from you that is that you have to you know almost like put yourself into some sort of churning device and whatever it's uh you know is churned out of you well that's what what remains of you and maybe that is the spiritual evolution that is the secret of evolution okay you can you can literally find everything online as i said before and you can come to my courses and listen to me speak but what I'm, what I really insist also in my book, right? I insist that you know you have to do the things yourself. Uh, listening to this, uh, intellectually uh, trying to make sense of magic will only lead you like to bang your head on the on the on the <laughs> wall again and again and again because it's like this doesn't make sense. This is this old old bullshit, right? It's not. There's nothing happening, uh, and usually. This happens to those who, you know, read a book and then don't do the practices. Um, the, my book, for instance, is really, it, like at, at the end of each chapter, there is a set, there's like a homework section, right? Like, okay, you read this, now you do this for a week, two weeks, a month. 
and then you move to the next chapter. I, I literally say like, you can read the book all in one go, but th this will not do anything to you. If you want to get something out of this book, if you want to get, and you know, this, the book is really about, you know, beginner's practice. If you, if you want to start with, your, with magic and start to, to have a feel of what magic is, you have to do the practice and you have to do the practice in the sequence I'm telling you and giving it the time I'm telling you. This is also why, for instance, I'm doing these courses online because the, the, the Magic Without Tear course, a tears course lasts four months, but the first one was three months. I realized it was too fast for a lot of people. So this one, the second yeah. and final cohort I'm doing, it's gonna be over four months. In fact, we also gonna stop for a month in, in the summer. So, you know, at the end of the day, five months will have passed from the beginning to the end. But, you know, practice, you know, it will be four months. And in those four months, I can assure you that if you do what I'm telling you to do day by day, you will make sense of magic. You will have secreted those, that noses from, from, from wherever it is, right? I think it's inside of each of us. Some people think it's, you know, it comes from God. Some people think it comes from, I don't know, other places. Um, I'm really not concerned too much with trying to figure out an answer to these questions because, and this is another another aspect of magic, which can be seen a bit as a, as a cop-out. And I'm, I'm not even trying to defend it because I realize that it might seem a little bit of cop-out, but that is that um, Gnosis, and true spiritual evolution are beyond reason. We cannot reason it. We cannot make sense of it. We have to experience it, right, directly. One of the reasons why um, Crowley was so hellbent on putting sex at the center of this of magic, uh, it's because sex is so primal and so beyond reason in many way that whenever you you have sex you know you you, you know what you know what's happening to you you know what what the, you know what your body is feeling and even there's a moment of course the moment of orgasm the climax where almost like all logic stops you know your brain chatter finally shuts down for that that fleeting second right uh maybe even less than a second uh, like but for that fleeting moment you are in ecstasy well, that is where you download that noses from. And the idea is that the more you engage with magic, the more you can get reliably and to that point and extend that point so that more noses can filter down. And so that maybe more light and more water can help those seed to sprouts. I don't know. Oh, man, it makes sense. this is <laughs> but, I was going to say, it makes sense how you can create a sex cult out of this super easily. Um, you know, well, I mean, Crowley tried and it didn't work out. Right? <laughs> Tills one tries and it worked for Tills one. Uh, I think I think I have to be uh, much more handsome than I am to go to the Tills one way. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Tills one as in the woman. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's Tills one has the, had oh, sex. You're telling me there's a... Oh, I love this scandal. Wait a minute. You're telling me that sex magic is part of Seal Swam's entire... Teal Swam's entire... Uh, thing? Uh, let's, say, let's say not an not entire shtick, but there's a lot of that in... Whenever you 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 hear some of the things she, she speaks about, whenever you read some of the material, it's, it's you know, it's all framed... In, this is like all the new age uh, guru award. It's all framed around healing, Right, yeah. like healing from traumas, which is something I will never touch, 
not with a 10 foot pole because that's, I, I mean, I insist that, you know, magic, it's not a substitute for healing. It's not a substitute for mental health, um, you know, uh, uh, therapy. But that's how you make money, like if you sell healing. And um, you, if you if you look a lot of, uh, in a lot of the stuff that that Thiel's one says, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of implied sex magic there. And it's not just just her. Like I think that Crowley has been plundered by that, um, you know, by, by by that business. The the most obvious being Scientology, of course. I mean, I don't know if you know, but Scientology has its actual roots in Telema. Like yes, Ron Hubbard yes. was was a member of uh, you know um, Agape Lodge Two in Pasadena in the forties with the the famous or notorious Jack Parsons yes. and before Dianetics even he wrote something called Excalibur which is incredibly difficult to find but can be found and in Excalib Excalibur reads as um, a magical diary. And uh, I was actually many years ago now, it was 2018, 2018, yes. I was on Chris Shelton's podcast. Chris Shelton is an ex-Scientologist. Uh, He's been doing a fantastic job along Leah Remini and Mark Rinder about exposing Scientology. And we went there for like two hours discussing all the similarities and the differences of magical practice with Dianetics. And there are, there are much more similarities than there are differences, right? Yeah. Um, what is your take? Did, so, yeah. Was he? Uh, was Hubbard just trying to? I mean, there's so many rumors about Hubbard. Uh, you know, the 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 letter he wrote about I could I could start a religion. I I yeah I could start a religion if I wanted to. Just uh, bring some science fiction in, and uh, I I mean, but do you think do you think he actually believed Scientology, or was he just messing around? If you read if you read Excalibur, he is one hundred percent sure that he is in contact with what he calls the Empress, which was pretty much what we as Thelemites, as magicians, we would call the Holy Guardian Angel. And you can also understand that he had his Thelemic teachings coming down from Jack Parsons, and Parsons himself, Parsons himself, you know, he never met Crowley, and. Um, Crowley was a very difficult man to deal with, right, uh, to say the least. And so, you know, the teachings Parsons himself got was very fragmented and very, uh, and, you know, Parsons injected a lot of his ideas in it. And that's what he passed on to Hubbard. But that is, I, I, I wanna, I'm, I'm convinced, like I don't have evidence, right, but I'm convinced from what I read that Hubbard 100% believe, at least at the beginning, that he had a very important magical, um, you know, enlightenment uh, that he reached some certain grades in the AA. Um, that is, he became like a magister temple, a master of the temple, which is possibly the highest, um, the highest grade one can really reach. And uh, and then then that eventually, you know, Dianetics and Scientology was his way of coming back to the world and uh, giving his healing to the world. Um, I don't think I don't think I don't think um, Hubbard was only a grifter. Of course he was, uh, but there was an element of him, at, maybe at least at the beginning, truly believing that he was doing magic, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's it. <laughs> like, you know, there's a lot. If you if you look if you look into Excalibur and if you look into into Dianetics, there's a lot of techniques that you know they're stripped from all. The magical aesthetic but it's the same thing right? it's exactly the same thing 
Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, so look, then if if this is not then this hidden thing, if it's not supposed to be, um, I mean, what is even... I'm trying to figure out how to ask what the effects of are it and and what it can actually do for the world without you necessarily giving away the secrets and words. Because, look, I mean, when I think of magic, I mean, there's so much. It can just get conflated with so many things. It could be spells. Mm -hmm. It could be it could be uh, manifestation. A lot of people, a lot of these Mm -hmm. coaches throw manifestation Mm -hmm. out there. Um, You know, if I'm going to go through and go through your course and and your books and and, just in general become this magical practitioner. I mean, what is is there a way for you to translate it all what daily life looks like as somebody that is ensconced in this? Um. I think I'm. I'm gonna try. Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna preface the. I'm gonna preface this by saying that I am a terrible marketer, because I'm. I never once used the word manifestation. I refuse to use it. Uh, great. Because in my, you know, in my, you know, in, from my perspective, right. And this is something that's it's repeated again and again by Crowley. It's repeated again and again by other other you know luminaries of of this uh, of this uh, path. Is that you cannot just manifest things of, of thin air, right? Think about Napoleon Hill, a new thought. For me, it's all bollocks, right? There's that's it. You cannot just things. You just can. You cannot think things into, into existence. It's not that simple. Because if it was that simple, you know what? Uh, we would live in a post-scarcity world, uh, post maybe even post-capitalist world. Everything, everything will be. I don't know the utopia of Star Trek, pretty much. Yes. Uh, it's not. We 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 we're not there, right? So, um, what magic can do, though, it can do all the things you mentioned. Uh, it's just that there are different techniques, different tools for different things, right? And so I would say that the first thing that magic can can do for you is for you to become more centered into yourself, right? More aware of who you are and why are you here and where you're going, which pretty much are like the big, the big three questions of humanity, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that the, I'm not saying it gives you all the answers right away, but I think that you know if you start, if if you understand that magic is something that you do, not you read about. So if you understand that it's something that you have to actively do, okay, um, if, and if you understand that it's going to take a long time for you to start seeing actual results, which is, again, this is why I'm a terrible marketer, because I'm not offering you, you know, quick fix to anything. Uh, you will soon enough, and by soon enough, I, I mean, after a few months, you will start to see that, you know, your li- in general, your life is is in a better shape. You are in a better shape. Your phys- your 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 body is in a better shape. Uh, your your compulsions are less uh, prominent uh, in your in your you know in your life. You are able to be less reactive than active. And which is this is something that again the, the idea of stilling the reactive mind. It's something that you find super a lot in in Scientology, right? There's a lot of Dianetics it's all about stilling the 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 reactive mind, which is pretty much exactly where. Hubbard got got it from. On this, I should also say something right away. 
you you don't see you never saw me on Twitter, right? We we just know each other from Facebook. But uh, I I tend to I used to be not anymore because since the Elon Musk takeover Twitter, I don't like it anymore. Uh, mostly because I'm served ads all the time. I tried yeah. Twitter Blue, didn't work out. Yeah, it's just like it's possible. But I used to go on a lot of. I don't want to like Twitter spats, but you know, especially when I'm this debating dilemma, especially when I'm debating the alt-right, or as I like to say, the neo-Nazi side of dilemma, I will be there. And, and a lot of my critics say, oh, you know, like you speak about stealing the reactive mind, you're just reacting to everything. No, I'm acting, I'm actively deciding to act on a path that it's important to me, which is, which all ties back to the idea that magic sets you on the path to discover your true will. This is a term that has can mean many different things for different people. But in Telema, it means finding it's a little bit more than purpose, right? In the book, I, um, I define it as a step by step, a moment by moment of refocus of who you are and where you're going. Also, it, it, it gives you the opportunity to free yourself from the the anxiety of the future and the melancholy of the past. Try to focus, to live on the here and now, which is, again, something that a lot of people have been talking about in the last few years, uh, living in the here and now, living in the moment. Um, where did they get these ideas? Possibly from many sources, but I think one of that source is Crowley. And, you know, you might argue that maybe Crowley got it from the East. This is something, of course, is very prominent in, in Eastern, in Buddhism or, and uh, in, in Eastern Tantra. But that's something else that magic can do for you. Now, one thing, one other, another maybe more interesting thing that magic can do for you and something that I'm personally very interested in and one thing that I actively teach is that magic can eventually lead you to turn yourself into a radio, both a you know a receptor um, like a radio receiver and a transmitter. And you say, huh. well, well, what you're gonna do? You know what you're gonna do with that, right? Yeah, well, yeah. you're going to co- you're you're going to contact whoever else is there in the universe, like whatever else, what all the all the many different types of consciousness that maybe do not aggregate around solid bodies as we do, but they are out there. And by out there, I mean, literally, you're literally swimming in them right now. We're all swimming into a sea of consciousness constantly. We don't see it. We can perceive it with our senses unless we train our senses by magic to do so. And the thing is that once you, once you do that, that's where the real fun begins, because that's when you know, this consciousness can teach you things, can give you information about things that possibly you didn't have any other way to access. And this can be about everything, right? Um, that's, you know, the, what, that's the kind of magic I'm really interested in. Uh, Crowley, in a letter to one of his disciples, Carl Germer, uh, say that, you know, magic is, gives you the tools to build up, you know, to, perceive these other entities that are there, these other, these other strands of consciousness that are there. And then magic eventually will lead to mysticism, which is the way to raise yourself to that level of consciousness. Right. Okay. This is, this is the, the final goal of all these things we do. So, you know, it's very different from manifestation in the sense that it, I understand that for a lot of people, um, 
maybe they need to to find more money to to pay the rent at the end of the month. I mean, we we we've been living in a recession for the last fifteen years, more or less. At this point, I guess we all need that kind of boost. But it's really like you need that in order to so that your 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 life is a little bit more stable, so that you can eventually can build yourself up to speak with demons, with angels, with ghosts, with fairies, with UFOs. All these things is this is the is the other, right? There's one book that explained this beautifully, several, uh, in fact, but I am, I'm thinking about Passport um, to Magonia by Jacques Vallée. I'm thinking about, you know, the, um, the, Jack, uh, the John A. Keel's book, but there's one recent book by Joshua uh, Ch- uh, Kachin called Ecology of Souls, which I heartily recommend to anyone who wants to understand what I'm talking about, how we constantly swim in a sea of consciousness and this consciousness has things to say to us and we just have to understand that we can turn ourselves into radios we can get the message we don't need much else you know like all the tools of the magician the circle the 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 the, the triangle to to conjure the spirit in or the scrying mirror or the the shoe stone or you know if we go on the polar side uh, polar opposite we look at the paranormal investigators with their you know hestes method or whatever else like all these things are important we, we those are tools that we can use at the beginning but in in time magic can turn yourself into this radio transmitter receiver and that's where the real fun starts well i was gonna ask if uh you know do, do you find that your students um do, do they have to because look i'm not somebody that i believe has had a direct paranormal experience but mm-hmm. you know if i read your book and i've heard to do these practices i'm curious in four months what anomalous phenomenon i could experience that's different than waking reality um there are practices in the book and in the courses uh, that will for instance uh help you perceive the elements okay and by elements i mean the traditional western uh four elements that are fire air water and earth Mm -hmm. but these elements also come with their own uh with their own little imps attached you have the salamanders for fire you have the gnomes for earth you have the sylphs for air and you have the Indians for water. Well, um, a lot of the people that <laughs> took the course, you know, that they've been doing these practices were like, oh, you were right. There were something that I could actually, you know, the more I refine my connection with this element, uh, I, I could, I, you know, not only I could see this, you know, as an embodied practice in the sense that, for instance, air, the element of air represents your thoughts. So if, the more you banish or invoke air, the more or less, no, the less, you know, anxious you become, and maybe you will tame a little bit of overthinking, but you maybe also eventually realize that there's something, there's some sort of consciousness in the element air, which has been called by Paracelsus, you know, sylphs, and you can get to, maybe you can see them, maybe you can talk to them. Uh, that's quite, um, I would say, just that, I would say it, it's a little bit, um, you know, non-mundane, <laughs> okay. Uh, in time, what we've done, for instance, on the, on Patreon, so but this is, because again, when I was doing Patreon, the community was very uh, close-knit because we were, we, I was doing, you know, live streams maybe 
three times a week. And we were constantly on Discord, constantly talking, constantly planning the next thing. Because as you can imagine, we were all locked in, right? We didn't have anything else to do. Um, now, you know, the community is much more uh, loose because thankfully uh, the world is back to kind of normality. But what we did back then was eventually move to the next step, which is working with conjuration magic. And that by conjuration, it's something that a lot of people would say, oh, you just need a grimoire. You just need to follow the grimoire and uh, get the tools or maybe don't even get the tools and, and you'll be fine. You, know, some, you, you call something, something will answer. That's not my experience. Like I said, you have to build up your, your body of light with the practices that come before. Um, because if not, you, maybe something is coming, but you, 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 you haven't turned yourself. Maybe you turn yourself into a transmitter, but not into a receiver. So there's, there's something is talking to you and you don't see it or you don't listen to. But what I'm telling you that, you know, that group, well, we, we ran a seven months operation on the, on a grimoire called the Arbatel. The Arbatel. I think it's like the, your first grimoire, like <laughs> my first grimoire. Like if, if you were to do, um, to just go into the grimoire business, the Arbatel, it's, it's simple because it, it's really about, you know, praying. It's about using Psalms. It's about, I mean, I spiced it up a little bit. I added, I added bits and pieces there. Um, but in general, it's very simple. It does, it doesn't have like incredible, uh, requirements. The tools are relatively cheap and you conjure what they're called, what are called the Olympic spirits or the spirits of the planetary intelligences. So let's say the spirit of Mars, which is called Phaleg, the spirits of Jupiter, which is called Bethor. And these are, you know, these are um, Uranic spirits, spirits of, of the celestial realms that are very, let's say they're, they're not very sanguine. They're not very physical right um so whenever they come they tend you tend to feel their presence maybe you're gonna see them as well but there is not they're they're not they're not too human-like okay which is very different from what we call the demons of the goetia they are very human-like and they can cause a little bit of trouble they're rowdy more than evil right now wait a minute when you're talking about this are we saying are you when you encounter them i mean are we speaking uh some telepathic connection are you seeing are you actually seeing Mm -hmm. them is this on the astral plane i mean how could you how would you explain this to someone that has no experience with magic whatsoever but you're talking about interacting with spirits um in my experience i had pretty much the full spectrum of things happening to me i never had a full blown physical manifestation in the sense that i've never seen something you know puff of smoke and something appearing that seems like a body right which is if you hear uh, another very famous magician dr stephen skinner he, he claims that in his first conjuration he saw a face, a grinning face appearing, right? And that's what convinced him to pursue the grimoire tradition because, yeah, you know, like first time, boom, you know, massive, like uh, movie-like experience. I never had that. However, what I've seen, uh, uh, telepathic communication, like things, ideas popping up in my mind, voices popping up in my head all the time. That's a given, right? If it, that's, what I, that's what I mean, turning yourself into a transmitter receiver. You get this. If you don't get that in my book, your conjuration has failed. And you have, it just means that you have to try again. You have to get better at it. What I had when it comes to physical manifestations, um, 
shadow people in the room, a lot of that, especially with the goetic spirits. Uh, I had disembodied eyes and in the, um, in the scrying device, which I, I use uh, a black mirror mounted inside a triangle. Okay. I had, I called a specific goetic spirit once, <laughs> the King Paimon of the movie Hereditary, which is one of my buddies, actually. <laughs> We've been having oh. a very good relationship over, over the wow. years. He's not evil, and, it's, and I don't even think it's a he. I've, I perceive them as a them, she. Uh, so uh, let's say Ari Aster, the director, didn't really get that very correctly. But anyway, what happened with them the first time I... Was it the first time? Yeah, it was the first time I called them. It was that, um, so I was in the basement of a shop in London, Threadwells, which is one of the biggest, uh, you know, metaphysical witchcraft shops in the world. And at the time I was running a course there. We're talking, it was 2018, the summer of 2018. So, and I wasn't, I wasn't alone. There was, there was a lot of, of people there with me. So we did the conjuration and this was like the culmination of a six week course that we were doing at Treadwells. We did the country, <laughs> to be fair, uh, I must admit, uh, it was a bit reckless for me at the time to do that uh, in only six weeks, but still, we did the conjuration. And just to give you an idea, like a, a goetic conjuration can last for hours. It's a very long and involved process, right? We did it and the lights start flickering. And then we hear from above, the shop is closed right? Nobody is upstairs. We are downstairs. The shop is closed. We literally hear um, footsteps moving. We hear the footsteps coming down the stairs and we hear those footsteps stopping right in front of the door. The door is closed. So we have, we didn't, we didn't see if there was someone on the other side, but yeah. we know there was nothing inside the shop. The shop was closed. I had the keys. That's it. <laughs> so, that was something that freaked out a lot of people, to be fair. Uh, but the thing is, it was, you know, once, once the, the freaked out moment was, you know, reined in, um, everybody had the chance to go in front of the, of the, of the scrying mirror and conjure, uh, sorry, uh, communicate, uh, um, with commune, commune with the spirit directly. And every, everybody, the spirit had something to tell each one of them. And they all reported that they could hear things in their head, or they reported that they could have ideas popping up in their head, or related to the questions they were asking the spirit. And that that was, you know, when it comes to, for me and say, hey, um, you know, what what's one of the time you really had proof that this stuff works? Well, that it is because I have twelve other people that can vouch for it. So yeah, that was that was yeah. that was quite that was quite a good experience to be fair. It is interesting in general that uh, magic rarely, or, or at least the stories that people tell me about it. I mean, I even asked somebody way back, maybe you have a different thought on this, but somebody told me that that story where Crowley conjured, opened the portal in a Central Park hotel room and talked to the gray being, mm -hmm. someone told me that was entirely made up. Is that true? Do you know? Yeah, I, I don't have any evidence of that ever happening, to be fair. Okay. Uh, so to me, even, that is you a... Know, you, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, I was going to say, that to me is like a long-term, like, okay, this shows me that magic isn't just this, like, glimpse thing, because I feel like that happens with the UFO phenomenon, it happens with ghosts, it's it's always, they kind of, 
it's almost like the astral and spiritual realm teases a little bit. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, here's a, yeah, here's, yeah. a here's an eye in, in in the mirror and bye. Here's footsteps. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, but are there people who have opened portals to other dimensions and actually stayed in them? Um through magic i don't I mean, know that's what that's 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 what they claim right um i can t- i tell you uh for me magic exists in the liminal exists in those spaces in between and those spaces are ethereal by nature right um i'm going to be very very honest with you here and possibly again terrible marketer i don't think it's possible to step, open, a, open a portal and step into another dimension. I don't think we can leave our body. We, we come into this reality, we incarnate into this experience to experience the limitation of the physical body and to experience the flow of time. Consciousness exists outside space and time. And so to grow things, to experience things has to come here, but has doing that, binds consciousness to the body and that's it right um that's the experience of the incarnated life so i don't know maybe i i maybe i'll be wrong one day right and say i will see somebody like of doing doing those magical feats that you see in uh, in harry potter or i don't know even in uh, high fantasy movies but for i'll tell you i don't need them because magic for me it's a way not only, as I said at the beginning, to to find who I am, my purpose in life, and to try and live my day-to-day life not being overwhelmed by everything that happens outside, and this this really pertains to you know the building of your body of light and the and the, the balancing of the elements and maybe of also of the planetary exper- um, energies. But then it's all about communication. It's all about the interaction with the other, right? There is very there's a, there's a, there's another step to it. Like there is one thing, one physical experience to this that can. I mean, I'm gonna say it out loud. It's gonna throw a lot of conspiracy theories. Like, oh my god, is he saying that out loud? Uh, <laughs> yeah. There is the idea that there is the idea that you can, in fact, at high levels of magical practice and that by that i mean having having practiced magic and understood what it is for a long time you can engage with the other on a sexual level okay which means you can create a spawn that is mixed breed between human and the other and as you can imagine this is pretty much one of the the ideas that throws, you know, satanic panic, uh, conspiracy theories, wild, right? Uh, yes. But then again, this is what <laughs> this is what you find in uh, in Crowley's Moonchild. Moonchild is one of Crowley's best novels. I love it, uh, I, and I don't really like Crowley as a novelist, um, but it's really good, especially because if you read it, it's an interesting story, and it, it does speak about this, right? Like creating. Uh, you know, preparing a vessel to receive uh, an angelic visitation and and create a child out of this angelic visitation. But also, if you know if you know anything about magic, that book is um, it's pretty much like every every page tell, tells you how to do certain things. 
Like, if you want to kill an enemy, do this. If you want to defend yourself from, uh, you know, scrying eyes, do this. If you want to defend yourself from magical attacks, do this. Uh, but of course, it's all it's it's all hidden in plain sight because it's a novel and it's a novel of, it's a no, it's a, it's pretty much like a fantasy novel right about you know uh, two competing lodges of magicians fighting each other but crowley tells you everything that you need to know there's like literally like if you if you never read moonchild and you're curious about what real magic looks like that's that book tells you wait that much. sounds awesome <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I think I think I think <laughs> I think it does. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I got to check that out. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you bring an interesting topic about uh, dueling magicians and dueling wars. I mean, or, or or wars of this. I mean, do you believe? L- let me ask you this about magic. Um, there are people in the conspiracy world that say that all these elites in power the hierarchies they are practicing a dark magic some people describe you know i i heard when the putin ukraine thing happened they were saying oh this is all a dark magical ritual um i know Mm -hmm. uh didn't uh did Gary Chapman write the book about Trump and in the age of dark one of those guys Gary Lackman Gary Lackman yes okay so that stuff um Gary Lackman writes all that I mean do you buy that? Are there people in power that are actually using this to influence the world in this way? Um, I think that we should use a little bit of nuance in the sense that most people in power are completely clueless about any of this. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I, on on that sense, I really buy. Uh, if I if I have to buy into something, it's the famous uh, phrase that the famous statement by Alan Moore. That it says that you know there's there's no secret cabal ruling the world, uh, the world is rudderless, and uh, and I agree with him, right? Now that said, it's also true that there have always been certain people in power who have ties with the occult, with magic, and this is especially true for the current regime in Russia. Uh, you might have heard of somebody called Alexander Dugin. Yes. This guy is, this guy is a full-blown magician. This guy is Rasputin of our era. Okay. Uh, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not mincing with words. This guy is a magician. Uh, it, also because, you know, most of his magic is propaganda. And so is, you know, it's very good with memes and it's memes really are a way of, transmitting ideas very fast and uh, and uh, and you know very almost like almost having a mercurial way to it and remember the mercury is not the the, the god of, of communication it's also a god of thieves so it's it's there's this almost like a little bit of um ambiguity about mercury now dugin is a magician there is a lot of people on the far right that have that since you know, and I'm saying the far right because they are the ones who always um, you know strive for tr- uh, tradition uh, and uh, uh, rally against secularism. So the ones that tend to believe in spirituality much more. These people, these people are magicians. Um, I have no doubt about it. The, the Gary Lackman book is in fact very good. Um, I think you know he maybe 
he goes a little bit wild in speculations here and there. But if you ask me, is Putin a magician? Maybe not. Then again, you know, it was kick a bit, so you never know. But let's say 90% not. Is Alexander Dugin, which we know is one of Putin's, um, how do you say, um, advisors, a magician, 100%. Yeah. Do these people can these can these people use magic to influence events? Yes. Uh, at the same time, it's so difficult to um, to really change the the course of the world by magic alone. You know, Crowley and many others insisted again and again and again and again that, and this is why again why I really don't buy manifestation or new thought or anything like that. Like you have to have sixty percent of what you do you want to to manifest needs to be already there. The conditions has to be there, and then magic can put in the last forty percent. So when we're thinking about you know changing the course of the world and you know destroy the the West, uh, um, magic alone won't do it. But then again. If you read The Unfortune, uh, The Magical Battle of Britain, she insists 100% that in the 40s, she and others uh, came together and defended Britain with magic. And that's why Britain was never invaded. And that's why the Blitz in London destroyed half of London, but it didn't touch anything major. The reality here is that, as I said earlier on, magic works outside the realm of reasons by its nature um so if you ask me like do you have evidence of any of that i don't have any evidence of anything <laughs> i can only uh, tell you that yeah. you know like, like like i can do something and see if that you know, whatever i'm doing uh generates the result i'm wanting out of it and when it comes you know from communication with the other that gives me constant results uh, when it comes to generating things in the physical world, I will be very honest, again, terrible marketer. For me, it's a 50-50, you know, f- half of the times it happens, half of the times it doesn't happen. Um, and from time to time, you know, uh, it's interesting because most of the times that it happens, though, it's when I did all the things, you know, I know that I did, did all the things right. And when it doesn't happen, it's because most of the time I didn't do one crucial bit, mostly because maybe I wasn't even aware that I had to do it. But then again, um, I tend to be maybe too honest on this because when I see other others in my in my uh, line of business or in my world, there's a lot of more absolute conviction there. No, 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 I, I can manifest everything. I can do everything. Ah, boys, if we could do that, <laughs> we, we would not be here. Let's put it like that. <laughs> so you've never seen anyone that has claimed you've never seen anybody say, hey, look, look how powerful I am and then demonstrated in a way that made you go. Yeah, that person is a true magician. I have seen something odd, um, a lot of th- a lot of odd things. Right. But it was never. I mean, it was never like, you know, I'm going to smite my enemies and lo and behold, my enemies are dead, right? I mean, Crowley um, did the action at a something... distance thing, right? The whole make someone, well, fall, I mean... make someone fall from a, across the street or on the sidewalk. I mean, that's what if we believe him, right? Do we want to believe <laughs> <Right>. him? <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, I mean, if point. you 
like if if you if you know if, if you know some of Crowley's lore, allegedly uh, one day he walked into Watkins uh, bookshop here in London, which by the way is a bookshop tied to my publishers, uh, and he made all the books in Watkins disappear, and uh, that's a story that a lot of people recounted. Did it happen? Maybe <laughs> I haven't seen it. I can I, I cannot tell you that. However, I did see. And I experienced some weird stuff. Um, I, I'm, I'm telling this tale because I, I always liked, it's just, just a, a nice memory for me. So in uh, 2006, uh, I went to receive consecration into the, the Episcopate of the, uh, the Ecclesia Gnostica uh, in Chicago by Michael Bertio. Michael Bertio is a very well-known teacher. He has, a, his system is very unique. Um, it mixes theosophy, with voodoo, his version of voodoo, which is not voodoo, it's, it's his own thing, uh, and Thelema, and uh, Freemasonry, and a lot of other things together, right? Uh, but I, you know, I in the early 2000s, I was translating his books in Italian, and then we got in touch, I went to visit him, I studied with him for a few years, then 2006, I received consecration from him. Consecration is something that, you know, it, it's a, rel a relatively simple ritual in the sense that, you know, you sit down, you purify yourself, and then the consecrating bishop or bishops come over and, you know, impose their hands onto you. And that's it, right? Like at that moment, the, 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 the Holy Spirit passes from the, bishop, the consecrating bishops to the new bishop, and you become one of the famous or notorious wandering bishops, right? So I became one and I can tell you, I could, I literally could feel a jolt of electricity passing through me. And I was thinking, you know what? Okay. I mean, I'm in the moment. There's incense in the room. Uh, there's a big loaded moment. I was, I was like, I was like, um, building up to this for months, whatever. Right. Uh, I'm just going to, it's okay. So after that, you know, we say our goodbyes, you know, we, I leave and Michael used to live. I don't know if it's still there, maybe. We used to live at the 33rd floor, believe it or not, 33rd floor of um, of this penthouse in uh, in Chicago. So, of course, I live the, the flat and I have to go and click on the um, on the elevator door, you know, to call the elevator. I'm still feeling very you know, emotional, very into the, into the, into the energy. I could still feel all this energy, this felt, this electricity, um, pulsing through me in a way. Well, I reached to, I reached with my right hand to click on the button and a jolt of blue energy passes through me and tick, it, 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 you know, the, 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 the elevator light has been cold and the elevator, sorry, the elevator has been cold. There's the light, almost like if I discharge that, okay? Did I imagine it? I don't know, <laughs> but it was pretty much incredible to have witness it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's my outlandish story, if you want. There are that's some others, but this is it. Yeah, no, 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 hey, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, 
I guess you know I and again part of part of my mission on this show is to really uh, go into distinctions and and what makes something distinctly part of its field, which may not be possible with something that again it's as you said, Greg. Uh, you might say, Greg, you're trying to understand something that's not understandable. Um, but let's attempt it anyways. Here's my question for you: sixty mm-hmm. percent. Of the conditions laid out, 40% is magic. Mm -hmm. Is there, hypothetically, something that you would say makes magic with a K, as you understand it, different than even, I mean, uh, than, than faith? Perhaps faith in a god, um, or some other form of, uh, I don't know, get, surrendering to the grand plan of the universe. Uh, I mean, what what is it about magic that makes it distinctly magic, in, in your understanding, versus other uh, invisible forces that you could call upon to get you to manifest the results you want all the way there. <sighs> First of all, I would say that magic and thelema puts you at the same level of any other of these forces. There is, there is no idea that you are, that you need to be saved by these forces. There's no vicarious atonement. There is no, like you are the one doing these things because you are the one who has forged a connection with the divine. And so you are either working towards or uh, almost there uh, to to create that divine experience in yourself. Okay, so I would say maybe it's semantic in the sense that, you know, maybe what I do will will be seen as just believing in fate or just believing in in a higher power but from my perspective and from the perspective of dilemma there is this aphorism that you find in liber oz and it says like there is no god but man which sounds very atheistic and very against everything we discussed so far but the point being there like the real takeaway of that phrase is that mankind is already divine mankind is already on the level of divinity it's just that most people don't act at that level because you have to pretty much like go to the magical gym get your magical muscles up and run the magical marathon and a lot of people would say you know what uh, that's too much effort i won't do it but is it really something that differentiate this, you know, this approach from those who have incredible fate? I will tell you, maybe not, right? Maybe it's aesthetic. Maybe it's just a perception and perspective on, on how these things works. But I will also argue that, did you notice that, um, that there's a, a lot of, um, how do you say, um, evidence, uh, data that, almost no one reports miracles anymore, right? Miracles used to be something that was widely reported. And to the fact that, you know, the the Catholic Church was trying to always like shut down any possible 
uh, miracle claim because if not, you know, you would have a shrine in in every little village of the world, and uh, it was just not sustainable. Possibly because I think that would just like d- delay their uh, control and uh, uh, revenue stream. But yes. this is me being a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit, um, you know, uh, cynic as usual. But the point is that you know miracles don't happen anymore. One way of looking at it is that well, miracles don't happen anymore because um, there is now it's so much easier to debunk them. Like we have uh, we have cameras, we have. Uh, photos, you know, we can do, we, we have all, all our scientific tools that can easily debunk everything. That's a way of thinking about it. Or is it also another way of thinking that maybe people have less fate? And maybe that fate is a passive way of doing what I'm telling you, we can do with magic, almost like magic is an active way that puts you in control, puts you in in the driver's seat, and tells you, you don't have to pray to Jesus, you don't have to pray to God, you don't have to pray to Diana or Zeus, or any God, whatever, you are already divine, you must just, you just have to remember it. And to remember it, you just you don't just have to say that you remember it. You have to do a certain step by step, you know, pro- uh, program so that you eventually do remember it. Okay, and so at that point, is that is that power the same the power the same power as fate? Possibly, right? I I don't I, I really don't have the the true answer. What I'm telling you is. Mm, you know, it's just elucubrations, really, like me me trying to to think about the problem. But I, I really don't see it as a problem from where I stand. Like I don't have much, I, I, I really don't have much to, to prove in a many way, right? Which is, you know, like it's what, what a lot of people want from, from anything that's paranormal. This idea of like, can you prove it? What I can tell you is that you can, you can prove it to yourself if you do the practices and see what, get, what you get out of it. But you know, I'm being very um, adamant and say that to do these practices, you have to dedicate a, a, a decent chunk to your, of your life, maybe for the next year to this. And yeah, then maybe you know, in a year's time. Too. Yeah, like like, you know, like maybe in yeah. a year's time. Yeah, please, please, please go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, I mean, that is kind of the, uh, I always go, what is the best, I mean, I, I, I and I, mm, I hesitate to ask this question because I know people would go, just choose one. Um, but in a world where there are so many different spiritual practices you could dedicate yourself to, I'm going, okay, should I take this here and do meditation? Or would it be good? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it all kind of is the same thing. I mean, it can get you to the same. Do you think, okay, tell me this. Let's say I'm a Himalayan monk, um, or I go mm-hmm. off and do a retreat for a year. Do you think that person that's in that state of mind can very easily then pick up a magic book and be like, oh, yeah, I just apply this and boom? Mm, I think so, yes. My perspective is that, you know, we all, uh, we, we're going, to, almost like we, we're, we're staying at the, at, on a rim of a wheel, right? And we want to go to the center of the wheel. There are infinite spokes to this wheel. We can take any road we want, right? And the reality there is that the more you go deeper into a practice, the easier it will be for you to recognize 
other practices. I, I had this proven in my, literally in my, the last course I ran, because one of my students was this rather well-known um, Kung Fu practitioner, Kung Fu teacher here in London. And by the end of it, it was, and of course, like the, the guy um, does, did a lot of like energy work, you know, key work and the Qigong and Tai Chi, et cetera, et cetera. And he was like, you know, a lot of the things you were telling me were resonating with me because, you know, I'm a master in my field in a way, right? So I definitely think that the deeper you go into a practice, the easier it will be for you to recognize other practices and pick them up if you want. Yeah, but if you ask me, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 that's great because at the end of the day, like the 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 end goal is noses, right? The end goal is is, and by noses I mean unfettered knowledge, right? Something that happens to you. It's something that you know because you know. Once again, using a sexual um, analogy you know when you're having sex, right? You know what it feels like. It's kind of difficult to put it to words. You know, a lot of amazing poets have tried, some with success, some others, right? But then again, like if, if, the, if the average person has to say what it means to, to have the best sex of your life, it's kind of difficult, but that is gnosis. That, that is unfettered knowledge, right? And that's, that's the final goal of all the spiritual practices. Now, at the beginning, you, were, you, you started your question in a different way, and you were saying like, well, if I have an ear, what should I do? My, my suggestion to that is always like, ask yourself, what is that you like aesthetically the most, right? Mm. Do, you, do you like to sit in a room with people meditating and chanting mantras? If you do, try uh, Dzogchen Buddhism, right? Uh, if you, if you like to, I don't know, to, to chant naked under the moon, try witchcraft. Uh, if you like to draw pentagrams in the air, come to me, right? It's, yeah. it's something I can teach you, right? I think that that's at the beginning, at the very beginning, that's something that you, you should go with your aesthetic, right? Because the reality there is that if you, if you decide to try it something out, that you already see that the aesthetic doesn't work for you, you're going to hate it. It's kind of, maybe not, but I think that most people will hate it, right? Now, counterpoint to this, we have in one of the uh, holy books of Telema, which is called Libert Sadi, which is a book that's, that speak about the concept of initiation. One of the messages there is that eventually you have to marry with your opposite. Right. And so it says, like, if somebody is uh, is drawn to the angel, let them uh, seek the demon. If they're if they if they like the dark, let them seek the light. I think this is step number two. Say that. So this is it's the year two. OK, so let's say that for year one, you experience with uh, Dzogchen and you say, you know what, that was my aesthetic and I really like it. Like, I think it was very good for me. And maybe year two you should try the, the complete opposite because the reality is we only get to the center of the wheel once we entertain all the polar opposite all the polarities all the opposites like the idea this is the idea of alchemy you now the bringing back all the various polarities to the concord concordance of the opposite with the concordatio positorum in yeah Latin. the shadow like all and, that stuff yeah yeah like reintegrating the shadow you can speak about that of course right um 
I think when we speak of, you know, the idea of shadow work, it's something that has been popularized terribly by witch talk or, you know, yes. all the witches of Instagram. But yeah, I mean, of course, you have to bring that back. So the idea, but, 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 but again, like to, to fully answer your question, like at, at the beginning, go with what you like, but stick with it. Do a full year. Do not miss one lesson. Go all the way in, because if you don't, you will not have the experience that you're looking for. Spirituality and every serious spiritual practices is not about a sprint. You can get there. You can you're gonna get there anywhere fast. There's no shortcuts. It's literally training for and then running a marathon. So it's long. It's gruesome. It takes a lot of time, and you have to commit with it. Hope, I hope that answered the question. No, it's a good question or a good answer to the question. Um, it's not a good question. I'm not going to ego myself. I'm not Alistair Crowley after all. Um, but actually, exactly. <laughs> speaking of that, um, you know, what What do you think about I, I do want to know about. Well, first of all, I want to know how much sex plays into your course. Um, <laughs> do you talk about sex magic? Not much. Not at all. No, I mean, I, I do talk about sex magic because um, it's impossible not to. And uh, uh, I, ha I have some classes at the end of the course that deal with telemic rituals in particular. And telemic rituals are pretty much all sex magic hidden in plain sight. There's especially, they're, they're all sexual, there's all sexual um, references in them that you see when you see, when you see, you know, when you know enough, you see them. And I explain them uh, as much as I can. But there's especially one specific uh, ritual called the, the Star Sapphire, uh, Libra 36, that it's literally, it's, it's a sex act, all of it, right? And um, unless you know, you, don't, you think that you have to just like going around the room and say strange Latin words, but no, it, there are several sex acts, one done after the other. Um, in my book, I hint about it. Uh, I, I don't say it out loud. Uh, because again, it's meant to be a complete beginner's book. Uh, but if you, there, there is a series of, of images. Um, let me see. Where is that? Around, there you go. Page 197 of my book. If anybody has the book, can go to page 197 and, uh, see what we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, of <laughs> course, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, I always, it always comes with the caveat that sex magic is, can only be done through uh, with cons with consenting adults. This is something that, and I actually insist again and again that sex magic can only be done with a partner that's aware of the ritual and actually it's at your same level of skill. This is completely different to what Crowley says in his diaries. Right, Crowley in his diaries insists that he was doing sex magic with everybody, uh, especially with um, uh, you know sex workers that were not aware of it. Now, it's the interesting part is that Crowley was also very honest in recording his um, his rituals, like the results of his rituals, and a staggering amount of uh, sex magic um, results recorded are failures, which. You know, to me, it's a proof that you kind of need to do it with, you know, with 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 somebody who knows what they're doing as well. It's not it's not just you, it's you and your partner. Okay, so you know, you already need two people at a 
quite decent level of of magical expertise to to make that work why doing sex magic because it's again it's the fastest way to that unfettered knowledge that noses we've been discussing you know throughout this podcast well and, and and you know i i am definitely curious i mean one of your essays uh on your medium page is pies wide shut which makes me just go <laughs> yeah. is is it a thing is this i mean look after the movie eyes wide shut came out a lot of things happened a lot of, first of all people think stanley kubrick was killed over it who knows um mm -hmm. a lot of people started going oh yeah this is what they do and i mean I still look, even though you're saying that there are some people that are in power doing these rituals, there are some people that aren't, I think we have to both agree that whatever the, the elites are doing at Bohemian Grove, um, you know, with this owl and burning the effigy, which I recently heard may actually be a, uh, not, not just some an undead um person um or thing uh like like there's some weird ritualistic stuff that has been documented mm -hmm. with people in yeah. power um what is your take i mean is there eyes wide shut stuff that's actually going on are people just mimicking this movie i mean what how how dark and twisted does it go um in my experience in the oto i've never seen anything like that and i was also a little bit disappointed by it to be fair right um there is one rite, one ritual called the gnostic mass where there is nakedness in the sense that the the priestess um at some point is naked on the altar and you can see pictures of this online very easily and that's about it like i never ever once see so anything even remotely resembling eyes wet shut I can tell you though that uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that there are groups that will enact uh, eyes wide shut types of rituals, because why not? In the sense that if you have that kind of money and if you just want to have fun, uh, why not adding a little bit of you know mystique on top and uh, dress up and do some some orgiastic rituals the, in in the literature. It is implied that you can use the sexual energy to um, to build up more energy, right? And and more people that are working in unison can create more energy. Whatever you're going to do with this energy, you can do all, all everything you put your mind, your intentions towards it, right? So I can tell you, it could well happen that there are some groups out there that do this. Um, I'm for, I've never been invited to. Um, if anybody's listening to this and want to invite me, hey, uh, <laughs> why not, right? I mean, I'm more than happy to, to experiment <laughs> in that sense. Um, but no, uh, I don't have any evidence of that at all. Again, though, it's wh where does Kubrick get his ideas? I think he gets his ideas from Moonchild, uh, if you, the book we were talking about. Like, he, he definitely, Crowley speaks about the idea of, you know, a group working together um, orgiastically to to bring down the moonchild. And the moonchild really is, you know, the homunculus of alchemy is this idea that you can imbue a human body with a divine consciousness, right? So somebody that from the very beginning is a divine incarnated being. And so and the idea is that what you're going to do with that? Well, this ideally, this divine incarnated being can uh 
give you a lot of insight on things and being very truthful about these things and can possibly become a very uh, a very charismatic leader and again i hear all the satanic panic nuts going mad about this now oh i'm you know and this is exactly what we were saying yeah. um that you were you know, like they were saying this because it's in the literature it's it's implied you can do these things but remember also when i said that sex magic cannot be done with randoms so imagine I go back to this to the to the um, scene in Eyes Wide Shut. There were what in the scene you can think about like hundreds of people. Let's say let's say it's where 100 people in that building, right? Do you think there were there there are 100 adepts in the world? <laughs> I don't think so. Right? Yeah. I don't think that. I mean that's the point, right? I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think there's those those many people that work together to um to go to you know towards the same goal uh we, we humanity is too scattered for that we, we just don't do it we just we're just not gonna do it right that's that's the reality of it yeah that's very interesting i love that i love that 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 is a very good take um okay so look in the in the well, uh, let me ask you this before we we kind of depart here. Some 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 other uh, questions on the top of my mind. I mean, you mentioned Alan Moore before, uh, great mm -hmm. great influence in comics and writing, and uh, a known magician. Um, he's been in a ma magic war before, wasn't? It? Didn't he have like a magician battle at one point? I mean, what what is that even when people can speak about magicians battling each other? And you mentioned it in, in Moonchild as well as the kind of fictional premise. Uh, what exactly, what, what are they doing there? Um, I think you're referring to the fact that he had this, this spat with Grant Morrison, uh, which yeah, is another, it, it, you know, famous magician. And it was magical basis, right? Um, I I must admit I don't know. I only okay, know that okay. they don't like each other very much, right? But I know that. Um, yes. I, you know, I met Alan Moore uh, a couple of times, and I met Grant Morrison once. I don't think he remembers. Uh, and and I, but that's it. That's that's all I can tell you about this, right? I really don't know if there was anything magical about it, right? Do Especially magicians because, you know, fight I, each other? Are are there such oh. things? <laughs> oh, every time, all the time. Um, <laughs> but do they fight each other yeah, with yes. magic? Do they fight each other with magic? Are they putting hexes on each? I mean, what what would you say? I think, you know, um, I I actually debated this very um, this very topic some some time ago because there was a little bit of a moment where, you know, around around the time like before before all the world became very entrenched with uh, with the Ukraine war. Um, there was a lot of people who were like, oh, you know, we're, we're bored of the pandemic. Now it's time to to start f magical f battles uh, all, all over the internet. Okay. And what, yes, fantastic, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? But what I really insisted on is that um, you need a lot of hatred to to focus if you want to use it magically. And uh, at least, here in the Western world, I think it's incredibly rare for people to be able to hex anybody. Now, I say it in the Western world because it's absolutely true that if we look at traditions like Vudon, Santeria, um, Quimbanda, Umbanda, so everything comes from you know the, the Caribbean and the South America regions that have their root in Ifa from Nigeria and Congo, 
that's very prominent over there, right? But I think that, I don't know, there's something, those who really are initiated into those traditions, which by the way, you, you can only be a voodooist if you're initiated into voodoo. Like you can, you cannot just say, Hey, you know, I, I like voodoo. That doesn't, that, that's not it, right? The, you can only access those spirits, which are called the laws, if you are initiated into voodoo. End of story. Uh, and, and so the point being is that in those traditions, yeah, uh, I've, I have seen, you know, hexes being more of a thing and I've seen people suffering from them. But here in, here, here in the Western world, I see a lot of people just throwing like, you know, accusation, accusation, like, you know, um, not accusation, I want to say like, um, telling people they're going to curse people and it's just not it. <laughs> yes. It's so silly. For me, it's like, it's so, it's so incredibly silly. Like if you ask me, is it possible? It is possible. Uh, it is likely. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It. Okay. That's good to know. Um, and then I guess supposedly, you know, the the other thing, magic without tears. Um, mm -hmm. Are we? Are we sure we're not going to? Are Are there people that could go the route? Of Alistair Crowley, could they become? Could you be leading people? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying you're leading people directly, but could these tools? Um, I, I think this is my confusion with magic and why. I'm curious, I guess, about your take on the common critique of it, which is, well, if you give the humans the power, eventually they're going to want mm -hmm. more of it and they're just going to keep doing it. And, and versus, I mean, this is why you see, I see more and more. I've talked about this on my show before the people that come from a new age background or a cult. And then all of a sudden they go to Jesus. They become born again, Christians. Mm -hmm. they, it's like they surrender mm -hmm. everything. And I'm going, why does it feel like it's, it's too extreme. It's either you have all the magic or you're surrendering yourself to some higher thing. I mean, what is, is, is there, how can you healthily take on this much influence in the universe? And, and how is your course leading people towards that? That's a very good question, actually. So I think that the way is to not take yourself serious. You know, like try always, always try to remember that these experiences will lead you to a renewed certainty about who you are and what you're doing will lead you to possibly realizing that you have much more agency over your life than you thought at the beginning, right? And the counterpoint, and maybe this is the will of, of Thelema, like Thelema does mean will, right? In, and so that's that part. Remember though that the full aphorism is you know, do what the will shall be the will of the law. Love is the law, love under will. Love or agape, which is the kind of love for the universe, the kind of, of love for everything that lives, must always come back to rebalance that absolute certainty in yourself that magic can and should give you. It's not easy. It's not easy and a lot of people fail at that. But one thing that I insist on and that I try to do with myself is to always remember that at the end of the day, 
you're not that important. And at the end of the day, your will is not that important because you have to, to continue to live in a world that's made of other people. And those people have the same right as you do to go and experience their own starry selves. The third aphorism that I like to remember everybody about Telema is every man and every woman is a star, which means that every man and every woman and every intersex individual has the right to live their life the way they will, uh, discover their, their, their magical selves or not. And you have no right to impede on that will of theirs, even if it's even if you considered it pointless, even if you consider it, um, you know, that they're wasting their time or whatever. And this is the love. This is the agape of dilemma. It's this counterbalancing and maybe mellowing factor that renders dilemma a good, and so, and the tool of dilemma magic, a good way to engage with these practices without losing yourself and becoming yet another edgelord. I tell you, many people fail <laughs> it's really <laughs> really it's really difficult it's a difficult balance to strike me myself i've struggled with it and i think that i am lucky that you know i had magic in my life my entire life you know apart from you know, you know let's say starting my early teens but there was a moment in my life where i was a rather successful musician in a very niche scene you know electro goth Imagine like music I was making was, um, I don't know, imagine if uh, Depeche Mode and Prodigy have a child. That was my my, okay. my music, right? Uh, but the thing is, for a while, I was very successful. And it was in my 20s and till my mid-30s, so 10 years ago. And I really have, I had, I had that way to to feel my egoic self and to feel all the power I needed from, from this world. Like, you know, I had money, I had women, I had recognition, I had everything I wanted, right? And I realized that a lot of people never have that. And then they lose themselves in magic because magic gives them this sort of certainty. Like there's this renewed conviction that they are the center of the universe because they are. Because the universe is what we call Nuit. And Nuit is this ever-expanding uh, circle of which Hadit or the individual, the Holy Guardian Angel is ever the center. And so a center of a universe that's so constantly expanding is everywhere as well. So they are both the center of the universe and the universe itself. And this can be very disconcerting for a lot of people, especially the kind of people that are attracted to magic usually. And the and those are those who feel maybe dispossessed, maybe they don't feel at home in this world. Maybe they feel they need more from this world. I was lucky that I was able to do magic and have a very grounding experience that gave me, you know, the egoic uh, solutions I needed, right? Uh, but I realized that it's not for, I was lucky and uh, a lot of people don't have it. So my my constant reminder is for people to not take themselves seriously and remember that the counterpoint to the magical will must be the agape and the love for everyone. 
it's not easy. <laughs> and I, love food. I was going to say, and what you, is even, I mean, the benefits must be good if, uh, if people are willing to, I mean, or if you're, you're willing to teach others it, knowing the risks, uh, it feels, it feels like such a dangerous tool in a way. I mean, it, everything, everything is dangerous, right? If you apply it in the wrong way. Uh, I think that, it's it's a it's a risk worth taking because it is the next step in the evolution of mankind you know this idea that we finally live behind the you know the, the patriarchal ian idea that you know somebody will come and save us which usually it's the sky daddy that died for our sins like yes. there's you don't need to be saved like you don't you, you're, you're you, there's you're 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 already free you're already saved. You don't need to be saved from everybody. Nobody's coming though. So you are, you are in control. You are the center of this, you know, of, of this experience. All the, all the spotlights are already on you. Do you, you also think it's like a and, societal yeah. thing? Uh, sorry to interrupt. I'm just oh, curious. Um, do, you, do you think no, it's no, no, like no, no, the no, way no society is set up that, because I, because I do kind of think in some ways, if, I mean, obviously, uh, look, I don't know if capitalism is the answer. Um, a lot of times it seems like it's not, and there's a lot of corruption within it. But certainly the the consumerism society that has been set up makes me think, well, if someone were to get into magic and they're told that you need a lot of things like this to live a happy life, then mm -hmm. that is having more of an influence rather than someone that grows up in a much more giving place. So, I mean, if you practice magic and you grew up on a commune or in a village where you were supporting others, would the dangers be there? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And I definitely think that we, we have to deal with with society as well, right? And um, remember, when at the beginning, I was telling you that, you know, Telema is the tool. And so Telema Magic are the tool of this new eon that was ushered in in 1904. But the reality is that these eons really overlap like these, this operating system overlapped in the way that, I don't know, if a new iOS comes out, maybe some people will still use the previous one for the longest time, right? Because why, why updating if everything, upgrading if everything works fine, or, or if you feel that everything works fine. I definitely think that society hasn't caught up with, with the lemma, with the, with the Eon of, of Horus, uh, or the new Eon, um, yet, which is also in start contrast with what Crowley believed, because one of the way Crowley was really trying to push the idea of, of Telema in his life is that from his perspective, a lot of the ultra progressive ideas of, of Telema were taking ground in, you know, in the, in the post World War One uh, um, uh, world, right? And then of course, they came to another grinding halt with World War Two. So like he, he was very convinced that, you know, actually, why well, look at that, like the world is becoming more, uh, well, I would say like less uh, constrictive. And then of course, things went, that went south again. And we felt the same, I think, because we had at the time, the period that went from the 60s to the, to, to the 2000s, more or less, where we were in a constant growth at least here in the West. And of course, that constant growth was, was, you know, on the backs of the less developed countries. I mean, let's not forget that imperialism is still very much a thing, but 
we felt that things were going in a better way. And then look what happened in the last 15 years, right? Boom, everything has collapsed once again. So we cannot get away from the fact that we exist in society. And so we, whenever we get out of ourselves, like literally our boundaries, we might have to find ways to operate in that society, even if we are trying to live through according to another law. But possibly this is also why I think it's even more important to to teach this this material, because it's almost like a, a survival guide for what I feel. To there's gonna, I, I think I think the world is gonna get in a worse state before it gets better. We haven't reached a rock bottom yet. Oh Happiness. gosh, sorry about that. But uh, yeah, I think I think we have. Um, you know, a lot of people thought that oh, we're, we're in the 1920s. It's the Roaring Twenties, finally. Um, I think our Roaring Twenties were the, the 2000s, and now we are in the, in the 40s, which, as you might remember, the 40s weren't exactly the best time in the, in, in the, in the 20th century. So, hey, maybe another 10 years we'll be out of it. Maybe. <laughs> I don't oh know. I'll, 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 be, I'll be 55, and so I'll, I'll be fine. My life is be okay. Well, you know, starting the, the declining slope by then, right? But yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, look, I want to know one thing. I mean, you've, you've covered a lot here. This has been great. I really appreciate it. Um, this, uh, and especially, look, everybody needs to check out marco visconti.org um and you can check out the book uh the alistair crowley manual uh which is getting really good reviews i mean i and i read the forward uh it's very i mean uh, peter lavenda is like a great big name in the big name in the community i mean such a such a cool uh cool that that was there and and high praise i i'm gonna dig more into this book um what do we think alistair would think of this book (laughs) <laughs> I think he would hate it <laughs> because <laughs> think? Uh, I, I think, I think that um, I did, I did something very heretical with this book. Uh, and that is, I try to, to make it simple. Like I try to strip Telema from all the archaic language, which is not like you know, the Edwardian prose of Crowley, which you might like or not, but can be difficult for a lot of people. For sure. But I also try to, yeah, I also try to get concepts that are quite complex and simplify them in the sense that, you know, everyone could, could, I hope everybody can pick up this book and read it and do the practices and understand what they're doing, understand why they're doing these practices, understand where they're going, what they're going to achieve with these practices. And when they come to the end of it, I kind of like give out a lot of, you know, those secrets, right? So I think, you know, uh, Alec uh, wouldn't, wouldn't love it too much because, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, he was still very much a man of his time. And he really much believed to be the prophet of the Ian. He very much, you know, demanded absolute um, um, respect and really believed his own authority. And I really don't like authority. <laughs> so, you know, that's, uh, uh, you know, that's, you know, that, that, there's a part in the book where I tell people pretty much, you know, don't join magical orders. It's just gonna, it's just gonna be a hamster on a wheel. Don't do that. 
uh, do oh, something wow. better with your time. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I appreciate your honesty and your perspective on this. Uh, the Aleister Crowley manual, the Lemic magic from modern times it's out there um check out marco visconti.org you're going to be doing uh, a lot more courses uh stuff with uh you told me about this tarot course going into altered states before we started i mean that that sounds very fascinating i i, I yeah, it seems yeah. Like you're experimenting with the form still no absolutely um that's always been my thing i like to i like to to experiment because magic should be experimental, right? Yeah, we have all sorts of rituals, all sorts of like praxis that it's set in stone. But I think that eventually, like the magus really does push the envelope a little bit. And since we have technology, why not use it this day, in this day and age, right? So, you know, in my Thought Tarot Magic course, I present the major arcana of the Thought Tarot telling you, you know, all the uh, the telemic uh, imagery, how it, it, it um, differentiates from the traditional tarot, but I also created like 22 path workings using emisync and binaural beats in order for you to really get into the, you know, the, the, um, uh, the trance state and enter the card and possibly, you know, hear this, the voice of the card directly. Um, we're now midway to it. Uh, but again, all my courses are something that, you know, I do live cohorts, but then all the material is going to be there for anybody to jump at any time, really. And, um, you know, of course, if you jump onto it now, you will have a little bit to catch up, but the material is there in perpetuity for you to listen to, 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 to revi uh, revisit again and again. Um, yeah. And then what else? I mean, I'm doing something else that I mentioned before. And I will announce it in July, but I'm going to give you a little bit of preview. Um, a, a third course will surface likely um, end of end of summer, and but I will announce it earlier on. And that's it. I'm going to teach. That's a big word. Uh, but I'm going to teach you how to get to, to know your holy guardian angel, which is um, an advance you know, yeah. moment in a magical practice. So I think that will be of interest to a lot of people. I will speak about, you know, the Abramelia rite, the way I did it. I will speak about Liber Samek, which is traditionally considered, you know, the telemic way of um, establishing contact with the Holy Garden Angel. I'll teach you what is the Holy Garden Angel, what it isn't, um, and uh, maybe present some practices for you to do and get there. But again, wow, how as does I said many times... How does this one show up for you? Is it tele telepathic? Uh, have you? It will, have you seen the movie uh, A Dark Song? I, I have not, actually. You, you should watch it. Um, you should watch it because, the, you know, the, it's a very um, dramatized version of the Abramanian Rite. Very well done. It's my one of my favorite book, uh, sorry, movies on uh, on magic. In fact, I was on Dr. Justin's Ledge Esoterica channel on YouTube like last week, the, debating it with, live with him, Justin and Aaron Leach, which is another practitioner, very one of the big names and experts of the Abramelian right. And I was telling them that, you know, when I did it, something happened that was very, like, very impactful. And that is that um, I did it in Rome and Rome is known to be very polluted. There are no strange animals around. Certainly there are no um, 
fireflies around, which are notably only usually fireflies happens, you know, in, in non polluted areas or not, you know, not away from cities and whatnot. There was a moment in this, in the ritual during the six months of retreat that I undertook that, you know, um, I opened my eyes and I was surrounded by fireflies. And that's something that kind of happens in the movie as well, but not really. I'm not giving away the movie. So when I watched the movie, I was like, okay, that was <laughs> somebody. Somebody has been researching or, you know, has been speaking with people that have been going through this. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was Very really interesting. interesting. You know, at the same time, I like always to counterpoint by saying that this ritual, you know, I did it when I was quite young, uh, 2021 at the time was, and uh you have to be away from the world for six months and you go a little bit steer crazy after a while. So uh, did I see them? Did I imagine them? Um, I, I just have the memory and um, I remember what I felt and it was quite incredible to be fair. Okay, look, before we go, we got we to figure this out. I want you to tell the audience right now, who do you think in pop culture is absolutely into Crowley. I mean, it, it's in there because we see a lot of movies. People always say, oh, this person put this magical reference in there. or And often there's mm -hmm. a conspiratorial thing like the Illuminati. Look, they're doing the symbol. What would you say, based on your experience with pop culture, movies, TV, music, who are you sure is into this stuff? Well, I, I know for a fact that Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin is into Crowley. Uh, because I spoke with him <laughs> and uh, he told me, oh, um, cool. I can, I can tell you for a fact that, uh, Jay-Z and uh, Kanye West or Ye were never a member of OTO because I asked and that was told me that they were never members. I don't know. Maybe I've been lied to. Um, what else I can think about? Um, Grant Morrison and Alan Moore, of course, they're into magic. There's it's absolutely obvious. I mean, they, they speak about it very publicly. Um, there are, I don't know really, because the reality there is that from my, from the little I experienced Hollywood when I was a musician, and I was never in movies or anything, but I was hanging out in LA a lot. And, you know, when you go, when you, when you play shows from time to time, you know, movie stars show up and maybe they're not super famous up and coming. I used to go to the Viper Room a lot. You know, um, I, I remember that all those, most of those people were in the aesthetics. Uh, and that was kind of the end of it. But yeah, I mean, like if you're telling me like one person I can tell you for sure is a magician or is really integrally, it's Jimmy Page and always been. Like, so that that's a big one, I would say. Okay, Jimmy Page. Check out uh, some of Jimmy Page's stuff. Um, I mean, how can you not? Um, yeah, exactly. no, this, this is very good. Very, very interesting directions you've pointed me towards in this interview. Um, and yeah, those are the kind of things you can expect. MarcosVisconti.org. Um, and I didn't realize the book just came out this February. Uh, so, yeah, the yeah. Oscar Crowley uh, manual, very new. Um, yeah, this has been such an interesting conversation. I appreciate your honesty and, and willing to share uh, the truth about things. You're not marketing any BS to me. You're, uh, you, you don't even think you're a good marketer. So, you know what? I, I appreciate uh, everything you've said. I mean, I think 
think it's pretty good marketing because you've made it seem more authentic than a lot of, like you said, these witches of Instagram. Um, So I, I, I love what you're doing, Marco. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been a very interesting conversation. Thank you very much, Greg. It's been it's been great, and uh, thank you to all the listeners. I hope I didn't bore you too much. Uh, I, I think <laughs> I did. No, you did a great job. It's very interesting. Thank you. Marco Visconti, thank you so much for coming on the show. So interesting that when you put a K at the end of magic. It's a very different thing than producing doves or performing at children's birthday parties or card tricks, where let me tell you, magic with a C, there's not a lot of sex. I want to thank Zero Boy for the free theme music. I want to thank Rodney McGilvery for the theme music. I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoy, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash open loops. I want to hear your words. I want to hear your weird, fringy voice. Why do you like the show? Why do you believe in UFOs? Let's hear it all.